Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article explore it then follow the links and see where it takes us john what is your article well eric my article is one of my favorite topics american team football (laughs) Uh, the one that we know so well oh yes Uh, we're both very well versed in our in our teams that are local and regional to us and how uh they're, they're really, you know, uh, uh, something that we care about a lot here in the media chronicles. We've mentioned them probably at least once. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, my article more directly is the 1923 Maryland Aggies football team. So it's a historical football. Oh, wow. Pre-pads, pre-steroids, presumably. Uh, okay. Before the game got a little crazy. Uh, they were the team that represented the University of Maryland in the 1923 football, hmm. college football season. In their 13th season, under head coach Curly Bird, and no, <laughs> that is not, that's real, Curly Bird, All the right. uh, Aggies compiled a seven win to two loss and one tie record, or two to one in the conference, and finished in seventh place in the seventh con- Southern Conference and outscored their opponents 214 to 56. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what that's what I have. Um, man, this is really well documented. <laughs> like, I really wish we had this level of historical documentation for literally everything else. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know if we have anything else from 1923 that's this well documented. I feel like there are parts of world, there are battles of World War One that are not as well transcribed <laughs> to the modern era as this Wikipedia article about a 1923 college football team that didn't even like win that much. Seven two one is not like the most impressive They're record really, I've ever like, seen. Important to the history of football. They've never. They were not undefeated. They were seventh in their conference. They weren't like. They weren't <laughs> the best. Middle of the road kind of. Yeah. Team. Here. Yeah. They finished seventh place. Like, it's a place, but okay, whatever. Point is, uh, what's uh, what kind of uh, what kind of article are you looking at? I want a team. Well, this is addictive. <laughs> this is why you gotta stay away from this kind of article. My article is about to happen, and by that I mean the name of the article is about to happen. When? That is the name of the article. It's it's about to happen. Uh, when is it gonna happen? Like I've. It has happened, like you, as in I. Oh, it's you've about, already stated the title. It's of the about article. to happen. Like the name. It's not about to happen. The name anymore. of the title actually is about to happen. The, t- it, the article it itself. Happened. It's it's happened now. <laughs> yes, it, it is. Happened. Okay, so what it is what happened. is exactly is the title of the article? It's about to happen. The title Look, of the article is about to happen. I will, right now, <laughs> say the title of the article okay. after a brief pause. Okay. About to happen. All right. Okay. <laughs> Come go with yours. That's that's just the best. Is it the title of a play? Uh, you're in the 
right ballpark, I guess. It's a song. About to happen. About to happen. Okay. I'm not familiar with the song, but it's also... It's by a band just too good. named Susie. Not that Susie. <laughs> oh, wow. No, if I had tried to spell that, it would have gone like, oh, yeah, yeah. Susie. S-U-S-I-E or S-U-S-Y. Like, I'm pretty sure you pronounce that Susie. It is indeed Susie, but it is... Um, a very French... Susie. It's more of a sea oxi. Yeah. Sea oxi. Sea oxi. Sea oxi? Sea oxi? Sea oxi. It sounds more Mandarin <laughs> at that point, but okay. All right, we're going to about. We're going to about to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are about to happen. We are about to happen. We have happen. about to happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so Susie is um, apparently uh, somebody named Noko, uh, aka Norman Fisher Jones. What? Um, also, Charlie Jones and Steve Evans. Wait. Hold on. Oh, okay. Susie is a member of the band. She is also the name of the band. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was saying it was written by Susie and then went on to list the names of the people in the band. But Susie is one of the members of the band, as well as those other three names I mentioned. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm quite on board <laughs> with that. So... So is it like a Florence and the Machine type deal where there's I Florence guess. and then the Machine is the backing band? I guess it would have to be something like that. Okay. All right. But the, it's from the album Manta Ray. Okay. First straightforward thing we've gotten from this article. Um, released in 2008. This is the third and final single from this album. So it doesn't really tell us like a genre. Oh, alternative rock is the genre. That doesn't necessarily tell us a whole lot, though. No. Because that could mean a lot of different things. No, it doesn't really... I, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to alternative rock stations and been absolutely baffled as to how alternative rock has managed to remain a genre. I'm not sure what it's an alternative to. Alternative I think it's an alternative. It's an alternative to calling it just rock. Yeah, it's I not get, actually they, alternative to like, rock well, in and of itself. It's not quite rock, so we have to. But it's kind of but similar. It still is just rock when you come yeah. right down to it because it's not good enough to be anything else. Yeah, they didn't feel they didn't necessary to pull, like, completely break from, the aesthetic. from rock. Right. But, yeah, so they still include it, but... Well, maybe, you know what? Maybe there's enough... Um... It depends. Do we want to figure out what a Susie really is? <laughs> the album Manta Ray, or do we want to go to something like Alternative Rock and try to figure out what exactly is Alternative Rock anyway? I, I could Was go it for something? a deep dive into Alternative Rock. Yeah. See. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do that 
and see if maybe Alternative Rock once was one specific thing and then kind of lost its way mm. and now doesn't really mean anything. Kind of like how metal started out being a specific thing and right. it sort of became a plethora of things. Yeah. They kind of kept their taxonomy up to date, though. Like, you know, you had little yeah. offshoots you, that made sense. Yeah, every offshoot of metal is pretty clearly defined. Even in sound. Yeah. Like, you know... Like, when you hear the name of it, it's like, okay, I know what that sounds like. I know what technical death metal is. Even if you haven't I heard the music it, before, you yeah. can imagine it like, oh, okay, I can't I kind understand of why figure you what think that, this is what yeah. this should be called. Yeah. <laughs> that actually does make sense. But, yeah, alternative rock. Let's try that puppy on her size. Okay. Alternative rock, also called alternative music. So it's an alternative. <laughs> oh, wow. They, they, got some, they got pretty full of themselves in the early 90s. Yeah, we're, uh, we're just going to say we're alternative music. Like, we're, we're not sure if we're even music at this point. We're going so far off the rails. <laughs> See, I've never heard an alternative song that made me think that it was like that different from anything else that was going on the irony is that all alternative music is the same <laughs> that that's really yeah that's kind of it maybe sort of oh, oh all right uh i'm just seeing in this box over here um under alternative rock there's derivative forms alternative country alternative hip-hop big beat new metal and trip-hop those were all alternative rocks? Derivative of that, I guess. What? Oh, okay. We need to we need to actually pick into this one a little bit, I think. Yeah. I don't think we are gonna get off this article for a while. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to get into here. Uh, it's a little long. Yeah. <laughs> alright, so alright, so what's what's up with this alternative rock? Uh, well, it seems to have started around the 1980s with independent music at the time, but it has had the rumblings in 1970s. Hmm. Uh, the 1970s punk laid the groundwork for it, apparently. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, that would be a good label. Mm-hmm. Alternative rock to punk music mm-hmm. you know because punk is all about you know rebelling from the system it's like you know what we're going to do something different so we're alternative to that other stuff that you've been listening to kind of but maybe alternative rock was kind of people compromising yeah like punk was people being <laughs> actually alternative to rock and alternative was rock was like we want to be different than you but we're still going to use your name a little bit yeah. <laughs> that's that's like still subservient kinda, to yeah. rock but we're but doing our own thing we're doing it but. our own way <laughs> dad i'll be home at 10 don't worry <laughs> yeah exactly like the like the i don't care about this i'm gonna run away from home i'll be back by 11 see ya <laughs> hey could you could you pick me up a burger when you go out later and then like keep it for me i'll i, I will be back i i just want to make that abundantly clear fuck you dad oh, oh wait no that was explicit do hey, we need to put an explicit tag okay. on, it on wikipedia chronicles do we do that now well, there's uh we can insert tones no we can okay. we, we can, can do, do bleeps we can I don't want to yeah, get out of control with it maybe we should go down that tunnel i don't know oh we'll see oh, we'll see what happens Okay. All I right. don't know. Maybe maybe we'll just have an uh, 
an alternative <laughs> episode. An alternative episode. <laughs> I mean, that would be yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that. This episode just just says whatever expletive noise here to the authorities of the, uh, yeah. the internet. Watch out, children! Here we come. Oh boy. I really hope I there aren't know. any kids listening to this. The kind of misinformation they, we accidentally spread. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> very true. At least adults have the good sense yeah. to like, Google things. Yeah, or at least wait until we're done talking instead of just like stopping it right there. Yeah. Like, like that's my fear is like that we'll like misinterpret an article, read on later, and like somebody who has ADD like stops right before they give a clarification <laughs> that they so desperately need to actually understand whatever it is we're explaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we should start doing like. Uh, an editorial kind of thing where we kind of like mention our screw ups in previous episodes, you know? Yeah, when they we should become really take, uncovered. Well, what we should do is we should sponsor our podcast, get money, and then hire George uh, as our editor. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because he has been essentially that from the beginning. Yeah. Consistently That's and true. to great effect, I think. <laughs> like, we've, we've just had to kind of double over and apologize mm. because of, you know. Yeah. George would have the broad he, knowledge he knows. base yeah. to just be like, I just know more than the internet. Don't worry about it. He just does. He just yeah. does. It's like, yeah, anything we cover, we're like, oh, this is so weird. George is like, oh, hey, I know everything about that. We're like, okay. Not even like right, in a bad way. Know. He's very, he doesn't like correct us yeah. on everything. I think he chooses like wisely what he's actually correcting us on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for just, sure. Yeah. Even, um, even if he's not correcting us, he always just adds supplemental information about yeah. it. Because he's interested <laughs> in those topics already. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, and, awesome. And the uh, kinds of topics is not limited no. to anything. No. Really. There, Which is what's like, impressive all about All sorts George. of different <laughs> topics that yeah. he's, he's met, weighed in on. Yep. And he it's, has met us at the gate being <laughs> like, hey, guys, already been here. Yep. Just so you know, look out for this. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I I'm 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 really in awe of it. To be I'm curious if he like, knows anything about alternative rock. Really. Yeah, I don't, actually that this is the real test because I I don't want to rule it out though. Yeah. Like I I knew George pretty much as an adult. Maybe he had like a weird streak in his teenage years that I'm unaware. of. That could be. I mean I don't I don't want to rule it out. Anyway, I mean. I guess I don't want to get ahead of the article, but I right. feel like alternative rock really hit its peak and stride in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine. That, that was right. its big heyday. There is a section in this article called Decline. <laughs> so I would say that, yes. At the end that, of the 90s. Yeah. Given when it started and yeah. given when it declined. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. about right. The 90s. The 90s <laughs> were it for alternative rock. Yeah. But, yeah. So... Uh, it says here that it is a broad umbrella term consisting of music that differs greatly in terms of its sound, its social say. context, hmm. and its regional roots. Wow. So this is like, if they don't know how exactly to classify it, they're like, eh, alternative rock, whatever. <laughs> Which is weird. We don't want to create a new sure, genre. Yeah, I was pretty sure rock had the ability to be like, you know, have well, regional sounds. Yeah. And have different sounding bands. Well, yeah, I mean... So I'm not really see, sure why alternative with, rock needed to be alternative that's rock. True. With, that's with true. With rock, there's... You know, you have your hard rock, you have your soft rock, mm -hmm. you have your um, contemporary rock. Is that a... Yeah. Thing? 
and progressive yeah. rock. Yeah, like, it's not like there's there's lots of different rocks out there. You know, there's rocks. A, like southern rock, post rock. Yeah, the rock. <laughs> the we already we went over the, the rock. We already went yeah. over the rock. Yeah, he's he's well covered on this podcast. He's great, and he's richer than probably most alternative yeah. rock musicians. Yeah, <laughs> combined, he is richer. There the w- rock is richer than alternative <laughs> rock as a genre. I would the, imagine there will never be an alternative the rock. We can be assured of That's that. True. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Oh man. Well, uh. By the end of the 1980s, magazines and zines, which are also magazines, <laughs> but for Wait, hipsters... It, did they have those in the 80s? I think zines have existed as long as people were audacious enough to make their own magazines and expect so people to pay money for are them. Are zines just like magazines that are a little smaller? I think we know like, exactly what article like we're going to go to next. Without, without the mega... a very similar <laughs> debate to what we were thinking about exactly, alternative yeah. rock, about zines. <laughs> so... Like... It would be zines, and then maybe they did magazines, but then they had a misprint and it came out <laughs> magazines. I don't know. Megazines. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious now, though. Uh, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll keep that on, on our uh, back little, burner here. Yeah. Uh, word of mouth had increased the prominence and highlighted the diversity of alternative rock, uh, helping me to accidentally click on Dream Pop and lose <laughs> my place. Uh, <laughs> The point is that uh, there were a number of distinct styles and music scenes such as gothic rock, jangle pop, noise pop, indie rock, indie pop, grunge, industrial rock, alternative, hip-hop, and rap rock. Most of these subgenres had achieved minor mainstream notice, and a few bands representing them, such as Husker Du and R.E.M., had even signed to major labels. Yeah, I remember R.E.M., but don't uh, ask me to remember yeah. what Husker Du is. Why are they mentioning Husker Du? I... Don't sound. It doesn't sound that like does, something I. That doesn't know. even sound familiar. Like there's, and it sounds like not, it should be touring with Ramstein, not an alternative yeah. <laughs> rock band. Like it's not. It sounds like a distinctly metal band. Oh uh, yeah, that's maybe they just felt like including like an international band in that mention. I don't know. I guess I. I feel like there, there should are a be lot more of international things that we've come across that we're like I don't know. I've never heard of it, but yeah. apparently it's huge wherever it originates from. And George. Yes. And with George. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but most alternative bands' commercial success was limited in comparison to other genres of rock and pop music of the time. Most acts remained signed to indie labels and received kind of not much attention from the media in general. With the breakthrough of Nirvana, though, popularity of grunge and Britpop movements in the 1990s, suddenly alternative rock entered the main musical stream, and many alternative bands became successful. Hmm. Now, they're not calling Nirvana an alternative rock band. They're just saying it gave way to the alternative rock entryway. Which is weird, because in my mind, if there was ever an alternative (laughs) rock band, it would have been Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, it seems like... I'm not really sure... But they're classified as grunge, which grunge would be a genre all on its own. What if the failing that we have here, Eric, is not a failure to understand what alternative rock is, but a failure to understand biology? Hmm. Here you have family rock, (laughs) and you have subfamily 
alternative rock, subfamily, metal, subfamily, pop. And underneath each one of those, you have mm. subfamily, you have sub-subfamily order, or whatever the next one is, because again, we're, mm-hmm. I'm bad at biology. <laughs> um, the uh, subfamily then would be under alternative rock, mm. grunge, uh, indie pop, etc. Under rock, it would be hard rock, soft rock. Under metal, it would be Doom, death, etc., eh. etc. Et yeah. <laughs> like maybe that's the misunderstanding that we're having. Could here, be that they're Although, just kind of like usurping a certain portion of the subgenres available under the overall canopy of rock. Mm-hmm. Being like, okay, that's alternative rock because we have like metal stuff here and we have poppy stuff here, and we have to have something that goes in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's a bigger group. Yeah, like like this stuff is too bright. Yeah. This stuff is too hard and grungy. We need a something slightly in the middle. Oh. Probably weighing a little more towards rock, but mm-hmm. still, still different in yeah. its own right. Okay. So Although under the subgenres of alternative rock is indie pop, noise pop, Brit pop, but not regular pop. Not so. <laughs> so maybe they were like, "All right, we're not in with the pop people, but kind of we are." But we identify more with the alternative rock crowd. Oh. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Why is this hurting my head? <laughs> it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> okay, so by the end of the decade, alternative rock's mainstream presence declined due to a number of events that caused grunge and Britpop to fade and led to the hiatus of the Lollapalooza Festival, which mm. I think is still going on now. Uh, yeah. I would assume so. Uh, nevertheless, post-grunge remained commercially viable into the start of the 21st century with the commercial success of Creed and Matchbox 20. Ugh. Well, if, are they just picking random names out of it? Or I, don't, I don't know, because the next bit band is Radiohead's <laughs> critical acclaim, which I guess is alternative rock now. I thought it was art rock. Um, anyway, and the success of some Britpop groups like Coldplay. Emo attracted attention in the larger uh, uh, alternative rock world. Is that alternative rock too? I think anything's alternative rock. Why if not? it's not heavy enough to be metal, <laughs> and it's not clean cut enough to be rock, which is weird because I didn't think rock staple was being clean cut. I thought the whole point was. <laughs> it's just kind of weird. It's like rock was started on the precipice of being rebellious. Mm. Then punk was on, started on the precipice of being rebellious again. <laughs> then metal was started on the precipice of being ridiculously rebellious. And then alternative rock was like, uh, rebellious. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but it, it just, it, it's just weird how it cascaded and it carried yeah. the same exact ethos through the entire... <laughs> process but got, they all gotta rebel against something the thing that came before you previous thing. <laughs> antithesis i guess sort of so there were some bands in the late 90s and early 2000s that were considered to be alternative rock bands as well and these are ones i was familiar with growing mm. up the white stripes the strokes arcade fire france ferdinand and interpol uh post-punk revival artists like modest mouse and the killers also became commercial successes and apparently those are all alternative <laughs> really See, uh i would kind of argue with some of that like it really is just a random jumble <laughs> of bands you've chosen it's those don't ha- they don't bear many similarities 
Like, to be honest, I feel like I would consider the White Stripes just straight-up rock. They are. Like, they're really they're, clean There's cut. nothing alternative about them. Like, they're... They're a guitar they and a like drum a, set and a vocalist. Like a chug, the chug of a rock, you know, yeah. sound. They don't do anything, they don't do anything stupid with, like, staccato stuff or mm. with uh, palm muting of the strings. They don't have really any unconventional time signatures mm. or uh, any... Their, all their vocals are clean. Yeah. You know, well sung. It's it's very standard stuff. Like, what was alternative about it? Was it their, the way they dressed? Because the way they dressed is kind of formal. Was yeah. that alternative? They were rebelling Maybe against it's because there were only two band members? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't understand. I still don't understand. Well, here's the origin of the term. Maybe this helps. Okay, yeah. Let's, let's do that. Before the term alternative rock came into common usage around 1990, the sort of music uh, to which it refers to was known by a variety of terms. Yeah, you don't say. (laughs) How about during that time as well? Anyway, in 1979, Terry Tolkien used the term alternative music to describe the groups he was writing about. In 1979, Dallas radio station KZEW had a late-night new wave show entitled Rock and Roll Alternative. College rock was used in the United States to describe the music during the 1980s due to its links to the college radio circuit and tastes of college students. In the United States, in the United Kingdom, rather, dozens of small do-it-yourself record labels emerged as a result of the punk subculture, according to the one uh, founder of one of those labels, Cherry Red, Enemy and Sounds magazines published charts based on small record stores, according called uh, alternative charts Hmm. the first national based uh, chart uh, uh, the first national based distribution called the indie chart was published in January 1980 it immediately succeeded in its aim to help these labels Okay, so the use of the term alternative to describe rock music originated around the mid 80s so, at the time, the common music industry terms for cutting-edge music were new music and postmodern. New music? <laughs> new, new music. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's a little general. Um, but then again, we're lamenting the generalness of alternative <laughs> that's rock very now, true. so... Yeah. Um, individuals who worked as DJs and promoters during the 1980s claim the term originates from American FM radio of the 1970s, which we kind of went over before already in the summary of everything. Um, let's see. Uh, the use of alternative gained further exposure due to the success of Lollapalooza, which we mentioned before, but for the fest for which the festival. Wow. <laughs> for which festival founder and Jane's Addiction frontman Perry Farrell coined the term alternative nation. And in the late 90s, the definition again became more specific. In 1997, Neil Strauss of the New York Times defined alternative rock as hard-edged rock distinguished by brittle 1970s-inspired guitar riffing and singers agonizing over their problems until they take on epic proportions. Okay. That actually does uh, do it for me. Yeah, I think I get it now. Yeah. Like, you got this contrast of the 
you know, hard rock sound kind of. But it's but intertwined with like, intricacy. Yeah, with like more cleanness skill. a little bit. Yeah. And um, then the lyrical matter is a little more personal. Mm-hmm. And also a little less poppy. Because, right. you know, rock from the 70s and even, such, or, and 80s. like Very surface level. Very, yeah. Like, it's, not, it's just standard stuff. And that's something I guess I don't really pay that much attention to in music but i guess that was like that's true one of the mm. things that for whatever reason in my mind elvis costello sticks out as uh, one of the first yeah. guys who really like started to really play around with wordplay in his music mm. and um really lyrically challenged the simplicity that people had assumed lyrics for for a very long time and I, I think, like, the alternative movement using that is something that I didn't really, like, realize. Now that I'm, like, thinking about yeah. it, I'm just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, even compare it to the, the rock ballads of old. Compare it to, like, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin. Compare it to Staircase to Heaven, for example. Yeah. Or Stairway. Stairway, yeah. Stairway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've listened to it. gotten the let out. But, um, like, the, even the lyrics to that, very simple. Yeah. Very, like, monosyllabic word play going on mm-hmm. there uh nothing very over heavy-handed and very um self-proclaimed uh gibberish yes just well, using words to fill the space <laughs> not <laughs> but really to like, make coherent but still like artful thoughts. obviously like yeah you you know it's not like using the voice as an instrument less right. so as a vocal means of communication yeah. like the the lyrics aren't necessarily like you know mm-hmm. a like whole personal thing but like it was you crafting a Uh, an aesthetic of some sort some kind of scenery basically but uh yeah these are maybe more personal but they're also kind of more uh intricate in the way they use the words as well yeah like they're they're more central they're more central which is kind of weird it's almost like everything was a little more focused yeah in a way the aggression was more focused, the technical mm-hmm. skill was more focused, but it was focused in such a way that it was able to also amplify the lyrics, mm-hmm. the storytelling element. Yeah, I almost feel like with you know, with this definition of alternative rock, I can definitely see Nirvana in that arena mm-hmm. now. And I, I feel like alternative rock probably almost puts a more of a focus on the lyrics but still has that backing of like catchy riffs and mm-hmm. that kind of thing Actually, okay because because rock and pop both have like a catchy riff kind of thing they do. you know yeah but they utilize it in different ways and i feel like that also carries over to alternative rock it does and then they, they just amplify it and use that yeah they kind of like i don't know uh distorted a little bit you know right really right. but not so much crunch that you it can't up. recognize it yeah they definitely add the edge mm-hmm. the basically the hard-edged rock mm-hmm. that they mentioned in the definition i mean it's that's actually yeah. that definition really does thank you neil strauss <laughs> yeah seriously. hats off to you <laughs> it's neil strauss and i'm thinking it's like almost um kind of like a lo-fi mm-hmm. rock that has a little more technique to it. The thing that comes way. to my mind is 
the album Loveless by uh, My Bloody Valentine, was it? Yeah. They spent millions of dollars to get an album that sounded deliberately <laughs> like lo-fi. They were shooting. Yeah, it's bands. funny how that works sometimes. Yeah, yeah they went massively over budget, <laughs> like deliberately trying to distort things in a very specific way. Mm. And I think that's what the alternative music was all alternative music was all about. Like by yeah. that definition, like that was what they were trying to do. Like uh Heaven yeah. in Las Vegas by uh what is Cockatoo Twins? Yeah. I'm not familiar. They, yeah, so good. But like, they, I think that was that. That makes sense. Just, mm-hmm. just, ah, uh, uh, I and feel so relieved. That's been that's this has been something that's been bugging me for years. <laughs> I feel like at some point they have to mention um, Pinkerton by Weezer. I hope they do. Because I mean, by these de- this definition and you know Weezer all this stuff is an alternative like, band. They <laughs> have to be. Yeah. They're poppy but post-punk yeah and like they're they're like poppy but with a harder more personal lyrical base exactly yeah it's almost like alternative rock melds like everything together and puts you like different spin on it as well i don't know i think it is kind of that it is sort of the america of music genres yeah it is <laughs> it's true it melts it's it very takes, true it takes elements of all of them and pieces them together and just says here you go Yep. This is this is what you got now. <laughs> uh, defining musical music as alternative is often difficult because of two conflicting applications of the word. Alternative can describe music that challenges the status quo and that is fiercely iconoclastic, anti-commercial, and anti-mainstream. <laughs> but the term is also used in the music industry to denote the choices available to consumers via record stores, radio, cable, television, and the internet. However, alternative music has paradoxically become just as commercial and marketable <laughs> as the mainstream rock, mm. with record companies using the term alternative to market music to an audience that mainstream rock wouldn't normally reach. Using a broad definition of the genre, Dave Thompson in his book Alternative Rock cites the formation of the Sex Pistols as well as the release of the albums Horses by Patti Smith and Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed as three key events that gave birth to alternative rock. Until recent years, in the early 2000s, that is, when indie rock became the most common term in the United States to describe modern pop and rock, the terms indie rock and alternative rock were often used interchangeably. Which kind of makes sense if you yeah. are a Pixies fan, for example. Yeah. Pixies fans, Pixie people were considering themselves like indie rock fans back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I remember that from a documentary I saw because I was too old to, I was too, I was too young to actually be a Pixies fan. I was, <laughs> I was like three. I was like three uh, when they were big. So. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it kind of tough. It does. But you know, you can learn about history and be like, That's yeah, true. I know them. <laughs> I'm a child, but I, I know yeah. them. I'll go to a concert for a 40-year-old. Who cares? That's fine. They're good people. <laughs> but, yes. Um, so, uh, throughout much of its history, alternative rock has l- been largely defined by its rejection of commercialism and mainstream culture, although this could be contested ever since some of the major alternative artists have achieved mainstream success or co-opted with the major labels from the 1990s onwards. (laughs) Um, Alternative bands during the 80s generally played small clubs, uh, recorded for indie labels, and spread their popularity through word of mouth. And um, 
As such, there is no set musical style for alternative rock as a whole, although the New York Times in 1989 asserted that the genre is guitar music first of all, with guitars that blast out power chords, pick out chiming riffs, buzz and with fuzz tone, and squeal in feedback. Um, so sounds range from the gloomy soundscapes of gothic rock to the jangling guitars of indie pop to the dirty guitars of grunge to the 1960s-1970s revivalism of Britpop. And more often than in other rock styles since the mainstream of rock music during the 1970s, alternative rock lyrics tend to address topics of social concern, such as drug use, depression, suicide, and environmentalism. This approach to lyrics developed as a reflection of the social and economic strains in the United States and United Kingdoms in the 1980s and early 90s. So, yeah. So, a brief history. First, in the 80s, uh, you have a lot of underground indie groups starting to sign to various bands, early American alternative bands like Dream Syndicate, R.E.M., The Feelies, and Violent Femmes combined punk influences with folk music and mainstream music influences. So, like Eric and I were saying earlier, mm-hmm. kind of like a melting pot. Yep. Big old melting pot. Um... American indie labels like SST Records, Twin Slash Tone Records, Touch and Go Records, and Discord Records presided over the shift from the hardcore punk that then dominated the American underground scene to the more diverse styles of alternative rock bands that were emerging. Um, By the late 1980s, the American alternative scene was dominated by styles ranging from quirky alternative pop like They Might Be Giants and Camper Van Beethoven to noise rock like Sonic Youth, Big Black, and The Jesus Lizard, as well as industrial rock like Ministry or Nine Inch Nails. These sounds were in turn followed by the advent of Boston's Pixies. There you go. There they are. <laughs> They're in there. Okay. Got uh, and Los Angeles's Jane's Addiction, which I give a solid... Three stars. Uh, around <laughs> yeah, the same got some time, good stuff. they have some good stuff. I'm not, I'm not ragging on them. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's passable. Yeah. Three stars on a yeah. scale that's you know appropriate. <laughs> yeah, whatever scale you're going by, three stars. Four stars. <laughs> four stars is the classy scale to go yeah. by. You don't want to do yeah, five for stars. music. It's four stars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, around the same time, the grunge ba- subgenre emerged in Seattle, Washington, initially referred to as the Seattle Sound or the 12th man, until its rise to popularity in the early 1990s. Grunge featured a sludgy, murky guitar sound that synthesized heavy metal and punk rock, promoted largely by Seattle sound label Sub Pop. Grunge bands were noted for their thrifts were fashioned, which favored flannel shirts and combat boots, suited to the local weather. Early grunge bands Soundgarden and Mudhoney found <laughs> critical acclaim in the U.S. and the U.K. respectively. I remember Soundgarden. I don't remember Mud Honey. <laughs> I don't remember them either. I feel like they're they're picking bands like, all right, here's this band that everybody knows, and, and this one. I don't know some other band here's that nobody that. knows. <laughs> here's Nine Inch Nails and Ministry. Here's Sonic Youth and Big Black. Here's They Might Be Giants and Camper Van Beethoven. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't know. I guess they're trying to be super yeah. diverse or something. I don't. I don't know. All inclusive here. Some uh, sort of all inclusive <laughs> genre. What is this? Some sort of some sort of melting pot. Um, <laughs> they keep bringing up Husker Du too. Oh, I don't here know. It's again. something. Get it's, out of here, Husker This du. is like the third mention. How many times do they mention Husker Du in this article? I want to. Do I have to I listen to know. Husker Du now? They mention Husker Du six times in this article. There's something wrong with that. Okay. How many times do they mention Weezer? One. One time. One Weezer. You get one Weezer for six Husker Du. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. That's, That's not right. That's a terrible right. exchange rate. I know. I don't, I don't like that at all. <laughs> That's not okay. Um. Okay. Well. That aside, I'm I'm going to skip that out of sp- I'm going to skip the rest of the uh, 1980s just because I don't want to say anything else about Husker Du. I'm going to skip three Husker Dus right there. So there. It's way too many Husker Dus. It's way too many. We can we can definitely economize on the Husker Dus. All right. So uh, in the British theater of the uh, alternative rock war, I guess uh, Gothic rap developed out of the late 1970s British post punk. Uh, with reputation as the darkest and gloomiest form of underground rock, gothic rock uses a synthesizer and guitar-based sound drawn from the post-punk to construct foreboding, sorrowful, and often epic soundscapes. And the uh, genre's lyrics often address literary romanticism, morbidity, religious symbolism, and supernatural mysticism. The genre among bands that took inspiration from the late 1970s British post-punk groups Joy Division and Susie and the Banshees. Oh, so she's from the Banshees. Is she though? Well, okay. I'm gonna gonna just. I'm just gonna bounce over to the article. I'm just gonna bounce. I'm just gonna take a little detour. Just Just gonna gonna double check. Just gonna fact check some stuff here. Oh no, you're right though. Am I? You are. So okay, so Susie and the Banshees, more. Well known as just the Banshees, I would think. Yes. Because I'm familiar with the Banshees, not as much with Susie. But Susie Sue, sure enough. So she is the Susie from which we came. Which is interesting. I mean, I I definitely have some work to do in my alternative rock consumption. Because mm. some of these bands in here I'm already like intimately familiar with, really yeah. like. And some of these I haven't heard of, and they seem to be the more formative <laughs> ones of the entire thing. Yeah. So I feel like I should go back. I owe it to them to at least... Maybe I even owe it to Husker Du. I'll, there, I said it. I admit it. <laughs> you give it a... You know, Fine. Just, you know. Fine. You, you won me over. There's six <laughs> mentions in this article. I'll do it. Fine. Just listen to one song. Just go into YouTube. Just one song. Whatever is the most popular. Whatever is whatever has the know. most hundred millions of plays, I will listen to. Yeah. Whatever is like right, I'll look for Gangnam <laughs> Style, and then the first alternative <laughs> cover of it I get to, hopefully it's Husker Du. Yep. At this rate. Um. So the key British rock uh, alternative rock band surge in the 1980s was uh, Manchester's The Smiths. Mm. Uh, yep. And yeah, I can see why that that they were a pretty important group. Uh, music journalist Simon Ren- Reynolds singled out the Smiths as the and their American contemporaries REM as the two most important alt rock bands of the day, commenting that they were '80s bands only in the sense of being against the '80s. Is REM the contemporary of the Smiths? I really hope not. <laughs> I, because I don't. The think Smiths I see that comparison. I, I don't either. <laughs> maybe I didn't not really melding to very well to me. But I mean, like, I I have owned several 
REM albums, and uh, I just don't see the connection there. I mean, Morrissey kind of whinging about things whimsically through the entire Smith's discography does set it apart in its own way, and it's also the Smiths, I think, have a much more open soundscape. Mm. It's a little spacier. Yeah. It's a little more minimalist than the REM ever. I remember REM ever being. Like they were yeah. a lot more heavy on their musical elements and, and soundscapes than mm. the Smiths were not by any means lush. They were pretty much a post-punk band. Like that was like yeah. it. So a very influential one, all the same. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I like. I would the say Smiths. they're they're both important bands. Yeah. But not necessarily comparable. No, so I, I question that person, but uh, whatever. Uh, the Smiths embrace of guitar in an era of synthesizer-dominated music, and that's not exactly what I mean. Like, the synthesizer in R.E.M. was like, yeah. there and very present. The, the Smiths, they kept it basic. Mm-hmm. Um, they were basically... Uh, in the Lost Generation... Uh, in their own land, exiles in their own land for basically adopting that old school lifestyle, that old school mm. style of uh, guitar uh, over synth during a time when synth was like the was <laughs> just like Chamberland. Yep. Think about A's music. What first comes to mind? I guarantee you there's synth in there somewhere. Yep. It, it starts out with a synth line. And yep. It continues yeah. with a synth chorus <laughs> and synths the there. Echoey drums or electronic drums. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. 80s was all about hey we can do something electronically let's do it right and then that went away for a little while and then radiohead (laughs) yeah uh other forms of electronic music developed Mm -hmm. in the 1980s in the uk the jesus and mary chains sound combined the velvet underground melancholy noise with beach boys pop melodies and phil Spector's wall of sound production Mm -hmm. while new order emerged from the demise of the post-punk band joy division and experimented with techno and house music. The Mary Chain, along with Dinosaur Jr., C86, and the dream pop of Cocktoo Twins, hey, there they are, <laughs> were the formative influences for the shoegazing movement of the late 1980s. Named for the band's members' tendency to stare at their feet and guitar <laughs> effects pedals on stage rather I than interact never. with the audience, shoegazing acts like My Bloody Valentine there you are. and Slow Dive Created again with the <laughs> yeah, coupling yeah. ones that you know. They always have to follow it up. Gotta be, yeah, it's like, there it is. hey, here's somebody you know, and, and somebody you don't know. <laughs> I don't understand this trend. Anyway, uh, they created an overwhelmingly loud wash of sound that obscured vocals and melodies with long, droning riffs, distortion, and feedback. That makes it sound worse than it does. It yeah. sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Um, shoegazing bands dominated the British music press at the end of the decade, along with the Madchester scene. Hmm. Didn't know that was a scene. Yeah, it sounds interesting. They're from a Chester, and they're angry. <laughs> they're mad, and they're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> Performing for the most part in the Hacienda, a nightclub in Manchester owned by New Order and Factory Records, Manchester, or sorry, Madchester, <laughs> bands such as Happy Mondays and The Stone Roses. Mixed acid house dance rhythms with melodic guitar pop. Mm. Acid house? Acid house. It sounds like the worst kind of house to me. Yeah. I don't want to be in an acid house. Even if people are just using LSD, (laughs) I don't want to be in there with them. That's that's going to be terrifying. It's a terrifying house, yes. Um, So, by the start of the 90s, then, 
The music industry was enticed by alternative rock's commercial possibilities, and so major labels actively courted bands like Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Dinosaur Jr., Firehose, and Nirvana. <laughs> Again, they, they have, they there's have always one that they find <laughs> yeah. that we haven't mentioned just before. Throw one in, one in there. Fire hose. <laughs> what the hell? He's a I fire mean, hose. <laughs> they sandwich it in this time yeah. between a bunch of other ones, but they're trying they just, this at this point, though. Yeah, because they know that we were looking for it, so <laughs> they kind of sm- they, they they put a whole list of like yep. comfortable, familiar faces. <laughs> they're like, okay, this time they're not going to do it because we got already three in a row that I know of, you know. And, and then and then fire. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but then they followed up with Nirvana, and you're like, oh yeah, Nirvana, okay. But to, what about that fire hose? They're trying to get away with it. <laughs> they're just trying to seep into your subconscious with these things. This fire hose. Um, but in particular, R.E.M.'s su- success became a blueprint for many alternative bands in the late 80s and 90s to follow. And um, so that group actually outlasted most of its contemporaries and by the 1990s had become one of the most popular bands in the world. Hmm. Um, but the breakthrough success of the band Nirvana led to widespread popularization of alternative rock in the 90s. Um, the release of the band's single Smells Like Teen Spirit from its second album Nevermind uh, marked the instigation of the grunge music phenomenon and I've, I honestly never realized just how old Nirvana was I thought they recently. were from like the mid 90s but they were yeah, from like I, 90 yeah like, like they actually I think their first album came out in 89 or like 80 yeah. something Which and, is I, weird. and I was like wait a minute like didn't their first album come out in like '94? <laughs> like and I feel like it had to, because I feel like I've missed the influence of Nirvana for so many years because of the fact that yeah. it was happening like when I was born. Yeah. In reality, the reason why I didn't think anything of Nirvana was because I grew up around music like that, <laughs> just being around on MTV pretty yeah. much all the time. And the point of the matter was is that like you went from synth pop 80s you know Donnie Darko soundtrack to Nirvana <laughs> in a time span of about two or three years yeah max that's a pretty breakneck change in the mainstream tastes of yeah, people yeah for sure that's crazy <laughs> different I, I think also part of my problem is I maybe at the time when I was a child I didn't really fully comprehend the whole like just because it's on the radio right now doesn't mean that it's like a brand new song. Right. So uh, the fact that they were playing a song by Nirvana from years and years ago it didn't, even didn't really me. click with my head. Like, oh, this is not from recently. Because I remember as a kid, like there was there was a lot of that. Like I remember being criticized for having songs that were like six months old because they were <laughs> quote unquote old, and I was just like. I, I don't think a lot of people had a concept of like what new music versus old music really was. It's yeah. Really much older. It's something you don't really latch onto until mm. you have like the kind of historical perspective. The classic kind of you know thing like oh mm-hmm. I can I know what old old music is, and then you're like oh and then I have new music, but like there's a weird gap in there somewhere. Exactly. Like I don't. <clears throat> know exactly what the gap was but i mean that's the one thing i'm not really sure about is when new music fell away and alternative rock began but yeah. i guess at that point 
Alternative and grunge kind of became one thing for a little while. Other grunge bands subsequently replicated Nirvana's success. Pearl Jam had released its debut album, 10, a month before Nevermind in 1991, but album sales only picked up a year later. <laughs> wow, that's weird. So, I guess Nevermind had to get popular first, and yeah. then Pearl Jam was able to be like, we did the same thing. And yeah. everybody's like, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> well, we listened to Nevermind, so I guess we'll buy your album. Uh, this is weird how that works. Yeah. By the second half of 1992, 10 became a breakthrough success, being certified gold and reaching number two on the Billboard uh, 200 album chart. Soundgarden's album, Bad Motorfinger, Alice in Chains' album, Dirt, and Stone Temple Pilots' Core, uh, along with the Temple of the Dog album collaboration featuring members of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, were also among the 100 top-selling albums of 1992. The popular breakthrough of these grunge bands prompted Rolling Stone to nickname Seattle the New Liverpool. Major record labels signed most of the prominent grunge bands in Seattle while a second influx of bands moved to the city in hopes of success. It was a gold rush in Seattle for grunge bands. (laughs) Uh, At the same time, critics asserted that advertising was co-opting elements of grunge and turning it into a fad. You don't say. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like every 90s t- sitcom TV show had like a grumpy teenage kid tripsing around in yeah. baggy flannel shirts and boots and ripped <laughs> jeans. Uh, in any case, Entertainment Weekly commented in a 1993 article, there hasn't been this kind of exploitation of a subculture since the media discovered hippies in the 60s. Mm. And that's true. That is entirely yeah. true. That is true today that. now that we're reliving the retro period of the grunge fashion. Mm. Like, it's back. It's back big yeah. time. <laughs> and it's staying... And it's terrifying <laughs> because flannel's not that comfortable. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. Then we get uh, Nirvana's follow-up in Utero, which was intentionally abrasive, um, and bassist Chris Novoselic of Nirvana described it as wild, aggressive sound, a true alternative record. And it also topped the charts. And then Pearl Jam came out with their next album, Versus. I wonder if that was because of Nirvana. (laughs) And that one performed very good as well. And then we come to Britpop, which starts uh, arriving on the scene with um, bands Pulp, which I'm not familiar with. Oh, they did uh, Common People. You ever hear that William Shatner album by, that Ben Folds did with William Shatner? Mm-mm. Pulp did the song Common People. Uh, there's, it, It's really good, though. You should listen to uh, the William Shatner cover of it. Mm. I don't know about Pulp themselves, but I know that <laughs> William Shatner does a mean cover. Oh, boy. Does he? <laughs> You'll never live like common people. You'll never do whatever common people do. <laughs> Like seriously, he just William Shatner's the whole track. It is fantastic, and mm. I. But the point is, c- continue. There are other bands in there. Oh yeah, uh, we got Blur. Yeah, we know them. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. Woohoo! That whole album is really good. Which I one had, is that? Is that the one with the the Chinese symbols on it? The neon sign. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. It's Pretty like sure. orangish. Oh no, no, or, no! You're right. It's I the orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another oh, it's one. A, it's the one that's like motion, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. some motion lines or something like that. Because they're a blur. Exactly. There uh. you go. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I, I had a um, cassette tape of that, and because at the time I had a car with a cassette tape player. I still have one. Like, I deliberately I, purchased my car based on the fact that it was the most <laughs> modern car I could get that would still have a cassette player in it. Like, yeah, like it was uh, my previous car, actually, and it. Like I, I just bought a whole bunch of cassette tapes. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna load up on these things and they're cheap. You know, you can find them all over yeah. the place too. They're yeah, great. and so I had a Blur cassette tape, and I was like, all right, I don't nice. think I actually listened to this whole album. So I popped it in, and I was like, this is really good. It is. It's, really it's actually a solid album, and I mean, it doesn't come as a surprise. Blur would later go on to become essentially Gorillas. Yeah. So they just changed forms and were like, eh, Poppy's just going this way now. <laughs> all right. Uh, then we got Swede, which I'm not familiar with. Swede, maybe? Like the is material? That, is that how that's spelled? I think so. It's uh, one of those weird maybe. it's one of those weird words that shouldn't be spelled the way it yeah, is. Maybe swede. it is swede. I don't I don't swede. see swede written often, so I'm why, why would I, you? I kind of it <laughs> just escapes my brain. Shop, you work at a grocery store. <laughs> I don't uh, know why I know suede is <laughs> how suede is spelled. Don't look at me. I, I, I was just I was just suggesting, man. Like maybe I'm yeah. wrong. I don't know. Could, that could be. Yeah. I'm not a leather expert. Yeah. Yeah. We've been wrong enough on this podcast many times to know that anything we say is. I'm only there. saying it because I've seen it on shoes. That's uh, where I get my. That's where I get my assumption from. The, you don't have blue suede shoes. That's true. Blue suede shoes. But there is a band called Blue Suede, but that's spelled with a W. It is? Pretty sure. No. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Wait. Okay. All right. Yeah, it is. The band is with a W. That's Swede. Blue Swede. But blue. then this, blue yeah, this one is shoes. Suede. Yeah, Blue Suede Shoes. Blue Suede Shoes. Yeah. That's my that's my reference for knowing yeah, how to spell think, that word. I think that's I the think, song, Blue Suede Shoes. I do think you are right on this one. Okay. Um, but yeah, so then we also... So, Suede Oasis. Yes. Oasis, and interestingly enough... Oasis has like a huge uh, like conflict with Blur. They do. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't aware of this until recently, but they had like a legitimate feud with Blur. And I didn't like, think bands still did that. <laughs> and <laughs> like, uh, what do they do? Well, basically, um, <laughs> okay, so. I, I don't know if I'm remembering this quote exactly right, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get the gist of it. Um, somebody was interviewing Oasis, the Oasis frontman. I forget what his name is. Um, okay. But uh, they were like, all right, so, you know, you've been compared to, you know, like you're the new, are you the Rolling Stones or the Beatles? or And like, which one's Blur? And he was like, I'm the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. They're the fucking monkeys or something like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> and wow. that is the reason why he chose the name Gorillas for his next band. Because he thought that it... Wait, for real? That is 100% he real. He grudge so much I think that he, he... Oh, wow. See, I think on, oh, wow. on this issue, mm-hmm. Oasis was the like aggressor and Blur was like, why do you care about this? Like, I don't. I'm not like trying We're to start trying anything. To do this. Like, I think Blur was on like the more chill side of this feud. I would imagine so. I would imagine that. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, I don't understand though, like why they started that. <laughs> I don't know why but Oasis like, was so mad. But like, yeah, if you if you look it up, and even I'm sure in the Oasis article itself, it probably mm-hmm. goes into it. But like, the people in Oasis, or at least the one guy, really hates Blur <laughs> for, for some, some reason. Like, I don't. Okay, I don't know the reason why, because they're both great bands. But there's a biopic in the future, man. <laughs> there's a biopic about this in the future. Just yeah. like bio, like it would be, it could be a good like uh, uh, humor biopic too. Just yeah. like like, like this oh, guy yeah. like being like enraged and like <laughs> declaring Blur their mortal enemy, and Blur just is just like okay, yeah. Like I, they, they, he treats him with respect the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no there's no animosity from Blur's side of things at all. Um, I would love that. That'd be great. But yeah, I mean it. It does go on to say in this paragraph um, in 1995 the Brit pop phenomenon culminated in a rivalry between the two chief groups Oasis and Blur symbolized by their release of competing singles on the same day Blur won the battle of Brit pop which I guess could well no that didn't spawn the rivalry I guess but Oasis soon eclipsed the other band in popularity with its second album what's the story more than glory which went on to become the third best-selling album in the UK's history. What? So that's that's uh, pretty good. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever listened to Oasis, shamefully enough. I've, I, I know I've listened to Blur. I know. I, because... You, you've heard songs from Oasis. I probably I'm, have. I'm sure you have. What's the story Morning Glory sounds familiar? Yeah. But I feel like it sounds familiar because it's a very familiar phrase. <laughs> right. Not because <laughs> they made it familiar. Um... Uh, well, are you familiar with the song Wonderwall? Oh, that was them? That was them. That was on that album. No, I don't like that song. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they have other songs. Okay. They have other but good... I know them. You're that, right. Yeah. I do know them. Yeah. But their so inferior is a blur in every way. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that I want, statement. I want this man to listen to my pod, to our podcast and be enraged. I want him to We should have... find him on Twitter and tweet at him from the wiki crowd saying, like, oh, this episode's totally a blur or something like that. <laughs> Was trying to antagonize him. Oh, uh, I can't imagine. I mean, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Just to see. <laughs> I kind of want to do it now, but I feel like it's played out. I feel like he yeah. has to be like, he has to he have had to have let it go at this point. He has to have seen gorillas become what they are now, mm. and sat back and been like, you know what? I was wrong. Something <laughs> had to have clicked eventually. Yeah. I would imagine. I would think. Okay, so uh, long synonymous with alternative rock as a whole in the United States, indie rock eventually became the most the, a distinct form following the popular breakthrough of Nirvana. Indie rock was formulated as a rejection of both alternative, alternative rock's absorption into the mainstream by artists who could not or refused to cross over and a wariness of... Oh, sorry. Wariness. There we are. Of its macho aesthetic. While indie rock artists share the punk rock distrust of commercialism, the genre does not entirely define itself against that, as the general assumption is that it's virtually impossible to make indie rock's varying musical approaches compatible with mainstream tastes in the first place. Hmm. Labels such as Matador Records, Merge Records, and Discord, and indie rockers like Pavement, Superchunk, Fugazi, and... Here it is. Your moment of not knowing who it is. <laughs> Sleater Kinney 
dominated the American indie scene in the 1990s. One of the main rock movements of the 1990s was Lo-Fi. Hello. Hey, there you go. Hello, (laughs) Fi. The movement was focused on the recording and distribution of music on low-quality cassette tapes initially emerged in the 1980s, and by 1992, Pavement, guided by voices, and here's your other one, Sabato. The only one with a link in that list. The only link in the list is the one you've never heard of. Sabato. Uh, became popular lo-fi cult act in the United States while subsequently artists like Beck and Liz Fair... Hey, those are both actually recognizable. I, I know those. <laughs> I know those. But brought the aesthetic to mainstream audiences. The period saw an alternative confessional female singer-songwriters uh, come to the uh, forefront. Besides the aforementioned Liz Fair, Linda Thomas, PJ Harvey, and the massively successful Alanis Morissette fit into this subgroup. Yeah, I didn't actually make the connection that, like, obviously there's going to be a lo-fi quality to all this stuff because with cassette tapes, you know, that's how stuff is being played and distributed. All And people are just, like, making these tapes and giving it to their friends and stuff. It's like... It was easy. Yeah. You had a dual cassette deck. You could make your own copies. The lo-fi sound was inevitable, Mm -hmm. so catering to that style would... Was brilliant. Yeah. They might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Got to use utilize the uh, medium of the time. Use it or lose it, man. Yeah. So uh, then we get into post-grunge, um, where we get bands like Creed and Nickelback. Okay, let's skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Good. <laughs> let's never think of it again. <laughs> but... Uh, they Creed and Nickelback did team up to create the song for the first Spider-Man movie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not saying it's great, but no, it's uh, it's memorable. Yeah, it's something they did. Yeah, that one time, <laughs> and then they had to reboot the franchise. Yeah, rest in peace, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And then we get post-rock. Nice. And we get uh, talk, talk. S- slint. Really, really, you don't really have a whole lot of uh, breaking through the mainstream with uh, post rock. Yeah, I'm not seeing. Well, towards the end, I'm seeing stuff. But uh, yeah. post rock does draw influence from a number of genres, including kraut rock, progressive rock, and jazz. Kraut rock because they believe in nothing. <laughs> or at least no vocals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you need that for? Um, so in this, you know, area, we get a new wave of post-rock bands such as Godspeed You Black Emperor and Sigur Rós, both of which we have heard of. We have heard of both of those. (laughs) How about it? Uh, yeah. Maybe somebody else reading this article will not know. But I can't imagine somebody being like, ah, Godspeed You Black Emperor. Who is Sigaros? Yeah, yeah. Like, you've not heard of them? Are you I feel sure? like if I heard of both of them or neither of them. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. <laughs> there's no there's no halfway on that transaction. Yeah. Actually, if anything, it would be Sigaros you would have heard of. Yeah. They've become more mainstream, and Godspeed You is kind of like... They got this one backwards. They fizzled. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, then uh, we get, um, I guess, other trends, it says. <laughs> 
Uh, Which I don't know why, because Smashing Pumpkins is still like they're just a grunge band, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are they? Why are they other trends? Yeah. They're grunge. They're grunge. Yeah. I don't mean... be fooled by the one album where they had an orchestra backing them. <laughs> that doesn't count. We know that from the Goo Goo Dolls experiment. Uh, Iris is a great song, but you you know you, you, <laughs> if you start out in the garage band or subgenre, you're still a garage band. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you have an orchestra backing you or if Treasure Planet <laughs> is what you make the soundtrack for. It. You're still a garage band. Speaking of the song Iris, I do have to say. Um, a couple years ago, I watched the movie City of Angels, where mm-hmm. that song is actually from and mm-hmm. was written for. In the movie, that is a terrible song. Like, <laughs> like the actual <laughs> like recording of that song is like a horrible take. Like, really? Like everything about it. I was like, this is not the same recording as the one as that's the one played that's on the radio. Famous. Yeah. For real? Oh yeah, it's something. Com- it's so bizarre and like, oh, that's off-putting. Weird. I need to watch that now. I yeah. actually watched uh, the thing that got me to say that was I, for one thing, I heard Iris on the radio on the way to work this uh, morning. Yeah. But I also watched Treasure Planet for the first time the other day, oh, and I was like, "What is that sound? What does that mean? <laughs> that sound?" And then I looked, and I looked it up. Julie was there with me, and she was, and I was just like, "What is that sound?" I recognized that guy's <laughs> voice, and sure enough, it was the Google Dolls guy. It was yep. John. Yeah, whatever. John Robotnik. Yeah. Robotnik. Yep, yep, it was Robotnik. Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> Dr. Robotnik, lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls. But yeah, so Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, strong influence of heavy metal and progressive rock, I guess. And <laughs> I, I got a distinct grunge vibe, but <laughs> yep. you know what? Fine. <laughs> Fine. Yep. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, through this uh, avenue, I guess we get Ska Punk. Um, so we get, uh, bands Rancid. Is that? Yeah. Is that a ska band? I, I, I don't remember them being ska. Didn't think so. I thought they were more. Maybe. I thought they were like more punkish. Yeah. But I guess ska punk would include both. I don't know. Maybe. I guess I haven't listened to them enough. I can't really say I don't that I'm being well versed in Rancid. I was pretty sure that trumpets were involved in all Scott. Uh, yeah. And if there's no trumpets in Rancid, I'm going to be angry when I listen to yeah. them. <laughs> but yeah, then the more notable ones, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, uh, absolutely Ska, well steeped in Ska. Uh, no Doubt, which definitely has a Ska slash reggae kind of vibe to it. Oh, No Doubt. Um, <laughs> and we get Sublime. Not sure if that belongs in the ska category uh goldfinger real big fish less than jake and save ferris what's wrong with ferris <laughs> <laughs> is he okay just felt like throwing that in there no okay all right <laughs> uh yeah i don't know why sublime's on that list that's that's a weird they, they thing, have a yeah. slightly reggae undertones but very i would say that's much more in the stoner rock yeah. genre. If anything. I would I would not put them anywhere near Scott, but <laughs> anyway. Um so the decline of popularity. Um so you know, we have uh the death of Kurt Cobain, so Nirvana stops being a thing. And Pearl Jam apparently rebelled against Ticketmaster, which even in 1994 was a dumb idea. And yeah, uh, they as, as such mean, got banned from venues. Everybody wants to ban- to, you know, 
go against Ticketmaster, but it's not I mean, like the music industry. <laughs> like, you can go against labels how, how because there's to? more than one, but there is not more than one Ticketmaster. There yeah. is one master of tickets. <laughs> Praise be. Praise be. Yep. There will be fees. Admit and... me to concerts for all time. <laughs> Forever and ever, amen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you succeed without Ticketmaster at this point. It'd be difficult. Or at that point. But, um, yeah, so you get the decline of grunge bands and the decline of Britpop. But I feel like there was almost a rise of, like, indie Britpop in, like, later. There um, was. Well, the I 2000s guess that's revival. the 2000s revival, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. The Strokes, Fans Ferdinand, Interpol, and The Rapture, because, again, <laughs> the one you don't know about <laughs> must be in there. Yeah, of course. Um, Oh, we, we did skip over the Weezer. Oh, Weezer, there in it is. The, in the mid-90s, Sunny Day Real Estate defined the emo genre. Weezer's album Pinkerton was also influential. How about it? And by 2000 and on into the new decade, emo was one of the most popular rock music genres. Uh, popular acts included Bleed, uh, success of Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World. Uh, I don't know if I would consider them emo, but okay. And Dashboard Confessionals, the places you have come to fear the most. Yeah, definitely emo. Um, but yeah, so emo rises in popularity. We get Fallout Boy, My Chemical Romance, Paramore, Panic at the Disco, etc. So the 2000s revival. That's when you get to The Strokes, Fans Ferdinand, Interpol, and of course, The Rapture, who we still don't know about it, even though we have said it twice. Uh, they drew primary inspiration from post-punk and new wave, establishing a post-punk revival movement preceded by the success of bands such as The Strokes and The White Stripes in the earlier decade, an influx of new alternative bands including several post-punk revival artists such as Modest Mouse, The Killers, and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs found commercial success in the early and mid-2000s. Um, American rock band Red Hot Chili Peppers entered a newfound popularity in 1999 after the release of their album Californication, which continued success with uh, also led them to continued success throughout the 2000s. Most references to modern alternative rock music in the United States are to the indie rock genre, a term that previously had limited usage on alternative rock channels and media. I don't know why they're going back to this right now, <laughs> but they are, and that's where the article ends. Because yeah. I just wanted to make sure you knew, indie rock and alternative rock, man, totally the same thing, dude. Totally the same thing. Yep. All right, well, so, we've burned well, through. <laughs> some more alternative rock acts that they mention here. U2, which... I don't know. I don't Muse, know about that. I don't know about that. And Foo Fighters. Uh, okay, maybe. I would classify them more as pop rock. Now? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think they had uh, When they time. first started out, I guess they were yeah. more... But even then, I would consider but them U2 just was rock. pop the entire time. Muse has been pop the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't really... Doesn't really... I don't know. Yeah. Still, okay. But I yeah. think they're just trying to... It's just getting, just getting worse. We should just stop while we have a sort of understanding of this thing. Yeah. Stop while we're ahead, man. Well, yeah. Let's see. The, the last words in the article. Dave Grohl uh, responded to an issue uh, issue of the New York Daily stating that rock is dead as speak to yourself, speak for yourself. Rock seems pretty alive to me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
flock is going anywhere. <laughs> uh, kind of, soon. I mean, it's kind of treading water at this point, I think. Yeah, but just as a general genre, like, I don't know, I feel like it's just... But, like, people are going to be... Yeah, they're going to continue to invest I mean, in it for years. I mean, like, the subgenres of rock are still afloat. Yeah. Yeah. And still changing. And so, it's just... Yeah. It's definitely taking on a different form right yeah. now. But... The thing is, it's like it—it it, it, it sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Pop music right now is largely alternative. It's just blanketed in this electronic wall of sound. If you listen to the radio long enough, eventually you may be privileged enough to hear acoustic covers of songs that producers <laughs> heard and were like, "Hey, that might sound good." Blanketed in a mesh of completely <laughs> synthetic parts. Yeah. Um, and then they turned it into the song that you're used to hearing on the radio. But there is still. Uh, an element of all of this kind of songwriting underneath mm. that. And um, I, I think that's important to remember that it's just kind of like a marketing ploy. To, yeah. That, like, if you don't hear that on the radio, it's because producers are messing around with it. It's not because it's not there. Yep. It's still there. People still pick up a guitar and write a song. <laughs> they don't pick up a whole, like, mess of synthesizers and production studio and write a yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you generally don't start with, with that. that. <laughs> yeah. You generally start, start with uh, like just yourself and a thing yeah. to make music. Yep, that's it. But, yeah, so the, after a, an episode where we meandered through almost the most amount of articles that we've ever done, mm-hmm. uh, this time we only we only went through two. We started in about to happen, and then we ended on alternative rock. There it goes. So, yeah. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, go ahead and visit facebook.com slash TWC podcast. Give us a like and follow. Go to iTunes, rate and review us. Um, and check us out on Twitter, the Wikicron. Not really doing much over there, but uh, you never know. And uh, we have our website, as always, twc.erictoribio.com. And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Billy Murray for our outro song. Thanks, Bill Murray. (laughs) He's a stand-up guy, that Billy Murray. Good job, Bill Murray. Way to write jazz. (laughs) So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. I needed to do that though. Yeah. Alternative was, rock as a label has been bugging me for. Yeah, it's, been it's a very uh, odd. I don't. It doesn't need to be. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what that definition put it to be. I, that Neil Strauss guy, he's a genius. Mm-hmm. He's an innovator, he's a scholar, and a gentleman. <laughs>
Where they turn night into days I'd rather be Where they go to bed at nine I have been here seven weeks And I've lost my rosy cheek That's the reason I'd rather have the country life for mine My thoughts are far away That's just why I say I want to go back He wants to go back I want to go back to the farm, far away from home, with the milk pail on my arm. I miss the rooster, the one that used to wake me up at 4 a.m. I think your great big city's very pretty. Nevertheless, I want to be there. He wants to be there, a certain someone for love, John.